Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, November 19th, 2023, we continue our series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, The Good Samaritan, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Enjoy. Are there people who are difficult for you to love? And I'm not talking about the people that have maybe burned you or wounded you personally. I'm talking about people that just see things differently than you. Perhaps their values are different, maybe morals are different, opinions probably clearly different. Is it difficult to find um, yourself being kind or to make a sacrifice? This morning what we're looking at in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan is really a challenge in the scriptures by Jesus to love everyone that he puts in our path. Now when we go through this, I will tell you that the text is about Jesus having an an encounter between him and an expert in the Jewish law. But the truth is about how you and I as Christ followers will respond to a need that gets put in front of us. The Good Samaritan is... um, is a story that's known by everyone pretty much worldwide. I mean, it's not uh, something that's just little, you know, kept in the scriptures. I mean, it's synonymous with helping people. I mean, one of my kids was born at a Good Sam hospital. I mean, you know, you have Samaritan's Purse, an aid organization that goes all around the world and helps people in need. You have, you know, uh, care homes, you have uh, nursing homes, you have food banks. All of those symbolizes love and care and concern for others. This story contains all of that. It's a story, in this story there is sacrifice without repayment. There is kindness that is undeserved. There is love without request because the wounded man here asks for absolutely nothing but he gets everything. Generosity that goes beyond fair, in fact, it's, it's actually gracious. The only thing the Samaritan gets out of all this is God sees. And yet the people that heard this parable would have been pretty put off by it because the good guy in this parable is a Samaritan. Now what this story does is it challenges to love all the people that God puts in front of our paths just like Jesus did. You see why? Because if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're different. Something changed inside of you. You are supposed to love differently than the world loves. Jesus even said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Between Matthew chapter five and Matthew chapter seven, when Jesus stops up on top of this mountain and he begins to speak, he says some interesting things here about love. He says, for if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? And if you greet only your brothers, Are you doing any more than any others? I mean, do not even the Gentiles do the same thing? Now, do you want to know what the context was for that? The context was that Jesus has just been saying, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you even to love your enemy. Well, that's a hard one. I thought they were enemies. Supposed to love them? This message is about expanding our view of ministry, and it's not easy. I mean, we live in a world today that is increasingly hateful, 
It's full of spite. It's lacking mercy. And Jesus here is not making it easy on us because he doesn't stop here and go, look, okay, I get it. The love thing, loving everybody, that's a really hard one, so don't do that. Just believe all the right stuff. He doesn't say that. Loving others is a command. Not just loving those people that are in our neighborhoods. Not just loving the people that we work around or maybe our kids go to school with those families. You know, just before Jesus, you know, left the earth, went to heaven to the right hand of the Father, one of the very last things that he said, you know, in in Acts chapter one, he gives a final command. Listen to what he says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Now stop for a second. Jerusalem and Judea would have been people just like them. People who thought the same thing, were raised the same way, educated the same way, felt the same things, had the same needs, ate the same thing. I mean, everything was the same for them. You would have been going, okay, I get it. But then he keeps going here and he says, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That would have been an incredibly radical thing. Samaria and the ends of the earth, those would not be people like you. It would be like the missions trip. People that maybe didn't speak your language. Maybe people that looked at things differently, thought differently, responded differently. You know, the story here is meant to cause, initially, it would have meant to cause the lawyer to examine his own life. But the truth is, it's also meant for any of us who hear it to examine our lives. Um, and so that's my prayer. I want to tell you, my prayer this morning is you would not sit here and go, well, that was really nice music, and uh, whew, I hope they're out soon that you would stop and just like Jesus would do, you would stop and take these words about Je- by Jesus and you would examine your own life. Are you loving to the level that he calls you to love? To the extent that he calls you to love. Now we're gonna do this a little bit differently this morning. If you're in Luke chapter 10, we're gonna walk through this. Instead of me reading the whole story to you and then going back, we're gonna walk through this verse by verse just to make sure that we don't miss exactly what's going on here. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that's Jesus there, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now the lawyer that asked this question is not a secular lawyer. This lawyer would have been a religious lawyer. He would have been a lot more like, um, like a theology professor, like in a seminary, so like a very bright, very astute into the law, and, and he's trying to sort of trip Jesus up at this point, which always cracks me up. You know, when in verse 25 there, it says he's trying to put Jesus to the test. It always cracks me up when people will somehow think in their minds that they are higher morally or intellectually than God. You know, and they'll say things like, well, you know, I don't know about you, but God and I need to have a talk. Really? It's not gonna go well for you. You don't know who you're talking to. The creator of all things who designed your DNA, you're gonna go tell him how to do stuff? That's what the book of Job is all about. Look at verse 26. 
Jesus here said to him, what is written in the law? To that question, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, that's a really interesting thing he, he asks here. He, Jesus here knows that the lawyer knows the answer, and he says, how do you read it? Now, why would you assume here that this Jewish lawyer here knows the answer? Well, that is because at that time, every male at that point of that age would have known the right answer. You see, the, here's what they used to do at that time. They would take a, a piece of leather, and they would form it into a bag, and they would tie that leather onto their wrist. Like, I'm right-handed. They would always do it on the opposite hand. And so they would have this on the wrist. It was called a phylactery. And inside that phylactery, they would take parchment. And they would take this parchment and they would write out what they considered to be the most important verses. And then they would take that and every single day, multiple times during the day, they would open that up and they would read through those verses. And that was their cause of prayer. They would stop and they'd pray. These are the truths, God, that you really want us to live by. And so he does that. Look at verse 27. He, this is the lawyer here, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer here quotes two verses. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't have to tell them what verses to quote? They already know what the most important ones were. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and your might. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, and he, Jesus here, said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Jesus here says to the Lord, you've answered right. You got it right. You know exactly what you're supposed to do. Now do it. That's the command. If we say we love God, we ought also to love others. Look at verse 29 here because the lawyer has a second question. He doesn't want to get too far ahead of himself. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now that sounds like a really simple question. Who is my neighbor? But it's really not. See, this is one of those places where I will tell you that the scriptures and what God have to say and our opinions and what we have to say are different. Because see, in this day and age, there were a lot of rabbis that followed teaching that wasn't actually in the Old Testament. They would follow teaching that came through these commentaries that were out there. You had a series of commentaries that were out there by the rabbis that would say, well, this is what that scripture really means. And they studied the commentaries before they would even study the scriptures. Some of those, you know, you've probably heard some of them, the Talmud, the Midrash, the Halakha, all of those were commentaries. They were the ideas and opinions of men. Well, the Halakha said, your neighbor is someone like you. Well, that's not what the passage says. Go back to verse 26 for a second here. What is the question Jesus asks? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You know what Jesus doesn't say here? So who do you think your neighbor is? You know what he doesn't say? What's your opinion? 
I'm gonna be honest with you. There's a reason why I've had people come to me and say, well, why doesn't Highlands you know, do more topical stuff, like stuff that's you know, totally just in the news right now? Because your opinion and the world's opinion doesn't matter. God's opinion matters. Why do we go back to the book? Because we wanna know what God has to say. Where is God leading us on this whole thing? What is he challenging us to do? And so we wanna go through verse by verse through the scriptures so we know what he is calling us to do. Verse 29 here tells us that Jesus knows the lawyer is trying to limit his responsibilities. He's trying to justify his point of view because he doesn't want to have to love and care for people he doesn't even like. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five that I read to you before a few minutes ago? If you only love those who love you, you're no different than the world. Folks, the expectation is that I would be different. That I would love. If I love God, I will love the people that he places in front of me. You know, if you've examined your life like I mentioned at the very beginning, um, let me ask you a question here, kind of a third of the way in. Let me ask you a question. Would you be okay being on the opposite side of what God says you're supposed to love? Because I wouldn't. Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. So he tells a story here. It may be a parable. It may not be a man from Jerusalem. You can safely assume that he's from Jerusalem. He's Jewish. Uh, It says he gets robbed here by some robbers. They steal everything he has, including his clothing. They beat him. They leave him for dead. Look at verses 31 through 32. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other side. So two religious figures here pass by. The priest who first of all is supposed to represent us to God and then a Levite who was the one that would be his assistant who would actually carry out the tasks for the priests. Both of these guys are religious, both know the law, but neither of them do anything. You know, a lot of people fit into this spot. A lot of people fit into that spot where they say, well, I'm religious. But do we do what God has called us to do? Now, why did they not do anything? I have no idea. You know, maybe they were scared. I mean, you know, this is a, a scary place actually to be. You know, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you know that that trek down to, uh, to the bottom to Jericho is a really long trek. It's 17 miles long, winding back and forth. In fact, in those days, the road actually was called like the way of blood or something like that because it was so dangerous and, you know, and, you know it, was, it was dark and eerie and there's no lights out in the middle of those places. People don't stop every day and go, hey, we're gonna go out and light a big fire to make sure everybody travels well and you know you would get up early in the morning and you would start traveling so that you could get through there through the whole day it was a long journey you didn't want to stop you know it was dangerous you know along the way and so maybe they're just scared that you know maybe these robbers are still around maybe they're pressed for time I mean they left early they don't want to get caught and have to spend the night there someplace where they can't see where they're going 
Maybe they felt pressed for time. Maybe they just did a quick survey of this guy and they kind of looked at him as they walked by and they're like, oh, he's gonna die. And they just said, you know, hey, what's the use? We don't even want to mess with that. And, you know, and because, you know, law at that time said if you touch a dead person, you're ceremonially unclean for three days. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But the truth is they did nothing. And even the lawyer will recognize they miss an opportunity to love here. Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. The introduction of a Samaritan here would have shocked the crowd of people that this was that it's being told to. Typically, there was this mutual hatred between Jews and Samaritans at that point. Now, the question is, why? Well, it was because the Jews were considered the Samaritans' half-breeds. And that was the lowest cut down at that time that you could possibly give that you were a half-breed. A Samaritan was someone that had both Jewish blood and Gentile blood. See, centuries before this, Jews from 10 of the tribes in the northern part of Israel would have intermarried with Assyrians, and the offspring of those marriages were Samaritans. The result was when, when the Jews from the south in Jerusalem you know, would travel and go to you know, the area around the Sea of Galilee and Tiberias or Jews from the north in Tiberias would travel and they would go down for the many festivals that would be at Jerusalem, they typically would walk down to the River Jordan, cross over the river into the Transjordan, walk all the way down the Transjordan and then go up because they did not want to lower themselves and walk through Samaria. It just wasn't just the Jews, though. 32 verses before this, Jesus sends two of his disciples into a village, a Samaritan village, to get provisions for them, and they get rejected there. James and John are those two. When James and John come back to Jesus, this is how they, they look at Jesus. They go, Jesus, we got rejected. Do you want us to call from fire from, from heaven down and kill them? Want us to nuke them? And now Jesus is telling a story about a good Samaritan. Look at verses 34 and 35. He went to him and he, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the Samaritan does exactly what the law taught. He does triage on this guy. He takes out his wine, uses it as an antiseptic. He bandages him up, puts him on his animal, which by the way now means he's walking. Takes him to the inn, gets him out of the elements, takes care of him all night long. The next day, he stops. The innkeeper gives him two denarii. As best I can tell, a denarii at this point was between five and seven days. Like it would, basically one denarii would give you five to seven days worth of food and shelter and care. And so the Samaritan here pays for this guy to be taken care of somewhere between 10 days to two weeks. And then he says to the innkeeper, if you spend more, I'll repay it. I'll take care of it. Look at verses 36 and 37. Which of these, then, Jesus asked, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer answered in verse 37, the one who showed mercy. 
And Jesus said to him, then you go and do likewise. That question, that's a really hard one. Which of the three was the good neighbor? The one who loved exactly the way the scriptures teach us to. The one who showed mercy, grace, compassion. Jesus' command is go and do likewise. But what's his point? What's Jesus' point here? And that is to be a Christ follower, to be pleasing to God, is not only to love God with all of your heart, but to love others as yourself. More than just simply your circle of friends. Samaritan's actions here define that. He sees this guy beaten by the road. He doesn't look away. He doesn't walk around. He involves himself. He inconveniences himself. He indebts himself. So what does that mean then to go and do likewise? I will tell you, first of all, I think it means that we are supposed to extend grace. We ought to extend grace. The Samaritan extended grace to a guy that may not have given him the time of day. His care, his compassion were completely unmerited, just exactly like God does with us. Have you ever thought about that? See, the Bible teaches us that you and I are saved by grace. Here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you deserved it. In fact, you didn't deserve it. what does he have to do with this guy on the side of the road? Except for to represent the Lord. This is, a, this is a big deal. Having care and compassion for this guy matters. As Christ followers, we're called to love our God and to love other people. And I will tell you, that the world expects us to do that. They expect us to be loving and gracious and merciful. They will not extend that to us, but they expect it of us. You want to know why? Because that's our message. What's the message of Christianity? That our God sent his son to die on a cross to save you and me who are not worthy. enemies our message is unmerited favor our message is grace our message is hope forgiveness sacrifice these are the things that become appealing that that draw people to the gospel message the Samaritan doesn't know this guy I mean he doesn't know this guy could be the biggest racist ever known to man it's not the issue. He's not worried about the character of the wounded man. There's no issue. It doesn't tell us any more about this wounded man at all. Whether this guy has views that are similar, his politics are similar, it doesn't matter. The parable is about who walked on the path. It's about us. What do I do when God puts something in front of me? What do I do? The second thing you see here is sacrifice. 
you know, we can be very quick as people to say, well, the Lord helps those who helps themselves. That's not what Jesus says here. The Samaritan here places himself in harm's way. He uses up his stuff. He gives his money. He doesn't know anything about this guy. The only thing he knows about this guy, in fact, I will tell you that here's what the Samaritan knows about this guy. That in the process of him looking at the scriptures in the very first book of the Bible and the first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27, this is what he read, that we were created in the image of God. That means this person, even if they think way wrong, they still bear the image of the Savior. And I'm called to love them. I don't have to agree with them. In fact, I probably shouldn't agree with them. But I'm called to love them and extend sacrifice and mercy. He doesn't know if this guy has helped other people. He doesn't know if this guy's a slumlord. He doesn't know if this guy's in the country illegally, how he voted. None of those things. His actions are predicated on the, about the fact that verse 33 says he felt compassion. In other words, the Holy Spirit is doing something inside of him telling him, you're supposed to do something here. He knows what the Lord expects of him. He knows that love isn't just and fair, it is merciful and gracious. There's a third thing here though, and that is generosity. He puts this guy up in an inn, pays the bill, provides the food and the wine and, and the oil for the medicine. He stays up all night long taking care of this guy. He arranges for two weeks of care and housing and food and he promises to pay more if necessary. Do you know what generosity is? Generosity is being faithful to use what the Lord has given you to honor him. Are there people that are difficult for you to love? Of course. There are people that are difficult for me to love. I can't tell you how many times in my mind I've seen somebody hold up a sign and I've thought, why don't you get a job? Until I had one of my sons look at me and says, Dad, do you know their mental condition? I mean, is it possible they can't even keep a job? Is it possible they don't even remember where they're at half the time? Hmm, let me think. You can have that back. It's human nature for us to do that. And yet it's a spiritual nature inside of me that's born into me when I come to faith in Jesus Christ to think differently, to respond differently. I'm gonna ask the worship team if they'll come back and they'll join me. You know, the, here's the point. You cannot just say, well, I love God. The second goes with it. If I do, I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself. That's who you and I have been born anew spiritually to be. You know, maybe this morning um, there are things that you need to get right between you and the Lord. I know that I've wrestled all week long between me and the Lord on some things in this. I love fairness. I do. I like, I like things just to be right. Do the right thing. And, you know, 
And yet, when I look at my own life, it wasn't fair that I came to the Lord. It was merciful and gracious that I did. And you know what? If you're going to be honest, it's the same way with you. You didn't do God a favor when you prayed that prayer. He did you a favor giving you the breath to even, and the ability to even think it. And our merciful God is calling us to live differently. To approach the world that's lost differently. Not to wrap our arms around it and give it, you know, approval. But to pick it up and encourage it there's a better way. There's answers, there's hope. Let me pray. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open, God, to loving like you love, to allowing the world to see what it means to serve you, to remembering the fact that we have been saved by grace, not by our actions, but by your mercy and your grace. And you ask us to extend that to other people so that they might see what it looks like to have a life that has changed. Father, move in our hearts in a powerful way to do that, to honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. There are gonna be a group of people that are gonna be down here. They would love to be able to pray with you. There'll be people back there where it says, follow Jesus. Maybe you need to come home. You know, maybe you've just been away from the Lord for a while. Maybe you, it's time for you to come home. Maybe you're brand new. You, the gospel message is just so appealing and your heart's beating fast. Maybe this is the chance for you to, to meet him, find him, to receive him. Let me tell you something. Let me give you an important theological truth to come on. You know why you came to the Lord? Romans 2 verse 4 says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads me to repentance. Let me ask you a question. What is your kindness leading people to? Because it ought to be an example of a life that has been transformed. A life when they look at you and they go, how are these people, they, they think differently than me. How can they love me? Because Jesus loved us. That's different. It's different than the world. That's who we're called to be. Let me say it one more time. The character of the guy on the road that had been beaten is not the issue. It's the character of the one that stopped and loved him. That's the issue. Let that be us. For, For Christ's glory, let Jesus use you to be the one that stops and helps and makes a difference with your life. God bless you. Love you all.